stand with me as we look at our text this morning? It's from Mark 14, verses 32 through 36. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Father, we thank you for this this glimpse into this moment in Jesus' life where the sorrow and the pain and the, the anticipation of brutality was so overwhelming. And we thank you that in this text we can find this morning the truth, the reality that you are trustworthy and we can trust you with our very lives. And so I ask that you would open our eyes, help us see and hear what it is you would have us to know today. And that if there's anything that is less than the fullness of your truth that I say due to my own limitations, I ask God that you just let those words fall to the ground. But Let your spirit, God, open our eyes to the absolute fullness of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So these words, this idea, remove this cup from me, honestly, they kind of remind me of some of the deep sorrows in my own life. They, They remind me of the loss of my father. They remind me of my mother facing a life threatening illness. They remind me of my sister's death. They remind me of times when I damaged relationships with people I love or hurt other people deeply or felt my own deep emotional pain because of things that have happened to me. Sorrowful times. We all have them, and they can feel overwhelming. Now, I know that nothing I've faced, and I know that nothing you've faced that feels like deep, sorrowful times of pain carries the weight of the salvation of the world that Jesus was carrying in this verse. But these times of being sorrowful are actually part of my story. I can't ignore them. I can't deny them. I can't just look back and go, well, it doesn't matter because things are better now or it all turned out positively. So that part of my story can just be pushed off and ignored. These times in my life and in your lives become a cup that has to be drunk, and there's absolutely no way around it. We've all had to drink from a cup that we wished would just pass from us, that we wished was never put in our hands. And that cup might be a divorce, or it might be a marriage that's eroding, or it could even be the prospect of lifelong singlehood. It could be the death of a loved one, or the illness that limits your capacities. Maybe that cup is financial struggles. Maybe it's job loss. Maybe it's homelessness. Sometimes the cup's actually just within us. Things like anxiety and depression, mental illness. We've all had to drink from a cup that we wished would pass. And if you haven't yet, know this, you will. Listen to what James Bryan Smith says about the cup. He describes it this way. A cup is anything that we struggle with accepting as our lot in life. 
And our cup is usually that thing that makes it difficult to believe that God is good. Now, in that context, can you see different cups in your life? Something that's come on to you and come into your life that you said, you know what, I don't want to accept this as my lot in this present state. And as a result of having to accept it, maybe you've questioned whether or not God is good. See, this definition of what a cup is connects what we saw last week in Jesus' narrative that God is good with the narrative of God that we have to accept this week, which is that God is trustworthy. God's goodness is essential to Jesus' narrative that God is trustworthy. We have to accept that he is good if we will ever trust him. So here's a little formula that I've kind of come up with to connect these two narratives about God. It's this idea that power plus good intentions equals trustworthiness. I'm sure it's an oversimplification, but in my mind it helps. Because when I realize that God is powerful and I realize he has good intentions, then I know that he is trustworthy. Think about that little equation for a minute. Maybe apply it to relationships in your life. If you believe that someone has power in a certain situation and that they have good intentions in that situation, then you will trust them. Think of a boss who's going to bat for you. But on the contrary, if you believe that that person has no power in a situation, even if they have good intentions, you will struggle to trust them. If someone comes up and says, I want what's absolutely best for you, but you realize they have no power to bring that about, you're not gonna trust that they can keep you safe and protect you. And now think about this. If they have no power in a situation, but all the good intentions in the world, you can't trust them. But also, if they have all the good intentions in the world and no power, you can't trust them. If they have all the power in the world and no good intentions, you can't trust them. And so that's where we can look at this narrative of Jesus that says God is good and begin to dive off of that platform into this idea that God is trustworthy. And so to trust God, we have to believe that he is powerful and that he is good. Now, even when we're faced, as Jesus was, with drinking a cup that we would prefer would just pass beyond us, we have to believe that God is powerful and God is good in order to trust him. That's what happens in our lives when this cup comes to us. Usually it results in us questioning either that God is good or that he is powerful. And that's why we don't trust him in that cup. And so for our text this morning, I wanna, I wanna help you see in three simple words from this text, sorrowful and cup and Abba, that Jesus' narrative of God is one that says God is trustworthy because God is powerful and God is good. And so here's my simple goal this morning. What I wanna do first is help you accept and maybe even embrace your cup. Maybe it's one you're holding now. Maybe it's one you've had to drink from in the past. Maybe it's one that you'll drink from in the future. And then after that, I want to help you discover how to trust God with that cup. And so let's start with that first word in our passage, sorrowful. There are so many synonyms for sorrow in scripture. Grief, mourning, brokenhearted, crushed, crying, troubled. But we have to understand that there are two kinds of sorrow. 
Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation and no regrets. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Now, we don't have time to press too deeply into this to, to make a distinction between the two. That's an entirely different message all unto itself. So let me just oversimplify it for our purposes this morning. Godly sorrow is sorrow that is centered on God. Worldly sorrow is sorrow that is centered on me. Primary difference. Worldly sorrow puts me at the center of my sorrow. Godly sorrow recognizes that God is at the center of our sorrow. And so godly sorrow comes from recognition that I and the world are not as God made us to be, that we need to be restored. Worldly sorrow comes from the idea that I am not getting what I want. When circumstances come at me, when that cup is handed to me, and I say, I'm not gonna get what I want in this, I'm moving into that place of worldly sorrow that leads to death. So when Jesus says his soul is very sorrowful, even unto death, his sorrow is God-centered. And it's a sorrow that was not rooted only in facing his death on the cross. It was rooted in what would become before the cross. Listen to these words of John Piper. Jesus knew he would lose his bodily life on the cross. There is sorrow in that for sure. But first, he would lose what was more precious, the sense of his father's good pleasure. As Jesus pressed forward into the events of his passion, he would perceive his father as moving backward from him. In his prayers in Gethsemane, he engaged the final temptation to turn from that horror and let the world perish instead of himself. Jesus' sorrow was godly sorrow because it was about God making him to be sin on our behalf. The perfect, carrying all of the imperfections. The innocent, suffering for the guilty. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. From our perspective then, when we are in sorrow, we should explore the source of our sorrow. Is it that I'm not getting what I want or that I'm having to endure pain or that I don't like my circumstances? Is it worldly sorrow? Or is it that the source of the sorrow is an affront to God? The product of sin and death and corruption and the fall, godly sorrow. Because the sorrow Jesus is experiencing in the garden is a sorrow that says, God, Father, you don't want this, but it must be. It's about God. It's not about Jesus going, God, Father, I don't want this. It's all about the source of the sorrow. So let me press this a little bit further, just for the sake of clarity. I get the word that my father is dying or my mother is experiencing a life-threatening illness. Certainly, I don't want the pain and loss of a loved one. No one does. None of us wants that. It hurts to know that that may be our cup that we have to drink soon. But, I can, rec but can I recognize that God grieves when our lives collide with the corruption of the fall in the daily things that we experience? 
Or do I simply limit my sorrow to myself, the impact on me, the loss and the brokenness? Now, here's the thing. Godly sorrow does not exclude my sorrow. On the contrary, only godly sorrow can hold my sorrow. And only godly sorrow can hold it in a way that allows me to trust God in it. When it's worldly sorrow, it becomes mine to hang on to. I gotta find some resolution. When it's godly sorrow, I place the story of my sorrow in the context of God. The same way Jesus trusted God in the sorrow, in his own sorrow, in the Garden of Gethsemane. So if this isn't resonating deeply with you yet, don't worry, because I think as we look through this next word that we're gonna look at, cup, you're gonna begin to see the connection. And so just, just hold on to the idea that there's two kinds of sorrow out there. There's worldly sorrow and there's godly sorrow. So remember that from 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that idea that worldly sorrow leads in one direction and godly sorrow leads in another. And just cling to this truth that Jesus' sorrow in the garden was godly sorrow. And so now let's go to the cup because the cup is where we move our sorrow from worldly sorrow to godly sorrow. The cup is the place where this happens. So listen to this in verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So remove this cup, the very cup that Jesus himself willingly chose to drink, he's now asking that it be removed. So why did he ask that it be removed? This request that the cup pass from him is a powerful and deep reflection of Jesus's humanity. This is important. It's an idea, a reflection of his commonality with each and every one of us. So, Jesus to say, let this cup pass, is the same response we will have in our sorrows because it is a human response. But Jesus saying, let this cup pass, is also evidence of a truth in Hebrews 4.15. This is critical for us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So now do you see that when you have a cup that you must drink from, it is nothing new to him. It's nothing new to him. It's nothing new to anyone who is human. But what we get is this high priest who says, there's gonna be a cup, you're gonna have to drink it just as I did, let me show you how. See, the temptation for Jesus in the garden, among other things, was to let his godly sorrow become worldly sorrow. Isn't that the same temptation to us when the world collides with us and we're in sorrow? which again would make it all about himself, which is our choice when we're in sorrow. And it would lead to him saying, nope, I choose not to drink this cup. Worldly sorrow will always result in me saying, God, this is all about me, not you. Therefore, I will handle it. But because Jesus' sorrow was godly sorrow, he was able to say, yet not what I will, but what you will. Here's the thing, when we are sorrowful, even unto death, 
and we must drink our cup. We will know our sorrow is godly when we can say with Jesus, yet not what I will, but what you will. That's the picture of godly sorrow in our lives as human beings. And having a cup that we must drink is common to every person who has ever lived. So go back to what we talked about last week about God's goodness. When you are faced with a cup, it is not because God has somehow become ungood in your life. And it's not because you've somehow become someone he's rejecting. It is simply because as human beings in this world, we will face sorrow. Listen to this in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Your cup is not about you. It's about a world that has fallen and in tribulation. Now your choice when your cup arrives is what are you gonna make it about, you or God? Because if you make it about yourself, then you must drink every bitter sip in your own strength. It will not just go away. But if we make it about God, then we can say with Jesus, yet not what I will, but what you will. See, when that cup comes, it's just a simple fact of living in a world that is groaning for redemption. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 8, 22. It's longing to be redeemed. The troubles of this world are a product of life in a world needing redemption, inhabited by people in need of redemption. That's why there's tribulation, struggle, sorrow, troubles in this world. Which means that the cup of Jesus is now an experience that's common to all of humanity. We've all had it. And the cup comes when the tribulations of the world become our lot in a moment. So our question when we hold this cup is this, who is at the center of my sorrows? Me or God? See, Jesus shows us how to let God be at the center of our sorrows, which is why he said he has overcome the world, which is why he said in me you will have peace. Implied in the in me is in this world, you will not. To try to find peace outside of Christ in this world is to set yourself up to have to drink cup after cup after cup after cup after cup after cup of sorrow and to drink it in your own strength. And he brought us into this place where he's overcome the world by making God the center of his sorrow with a heart and mind focused on God's will, not his own. He did this by having a deep and intimate relationship with the Father, the one he called Abba. That brings us to our third key word in Mark 14, 32 through 36. It's this word Abba. I could try to explain what it means. I could try to help you grasp what this the weight of this word Abba in a Jewish context, but it'd be a waste of our time because Jesus already did it. He did it in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, when his disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray. Listen to these words. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, here's what this prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, reveals about God, the Abba. It reveals that Jesus knows God the Father deeply and intimately, and he knows him to be perfectly trustworthy. And I hope you see what he knows about God what it is that Jesus has seen and experienced in God that allowed him to trust God fully and should allow us to do the same thing. Our Father in heaven reveals that God is near, he's present. The Hebrew concept of heaven in this prayer that's expressed here is the surrounding atmosphere. It's this place. It's not some place far off that we can only access through death. Jesus is saying, God, the Father, the Abba that I know to be trustworthy is trustworthy because he's as close as the air you breathe. Right there. Hallowed be your name. God is pure. He's holy. He is completely good. There is nothing in him that is not good. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is powerful. He is the king who has power over all else. Give us our daily bread. God is the provider. He constantly and consistently is meeting our needs. Forgive us our debts. God's heart is a heart of forgiveness, always restoring us to himself. Lead us not into temptation. Listen to what James Bryan Smith says about this point in the Lord's Prayer. God is present and powerful because he longs to protect us. And so what we get from Jesus's model prayer here is exactly what the word Abba means as it's placed on God the Father. It means God is close, that he's holy, that he's powerful, that he's caring, that he's forgiving, and that he's our protector. That's why Jesus called him Abba, a term of deep intimacy and connection. Think of that word in terms of our word, daddy. I'll be honest. When my oldest daughter, who's closing in on 30, calls me daddy, I still melt. I still melt. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying this relationship is so deep and so intimate and so close that I can call you daddy, which meant that he could experience the deepest sorrow this world had to offer and drink the cup of sorrow, knowing that the Abba, God, the Father, is perfectly trustworthy. We need to know the same. We need to know God as this Abba that Jesus knew. Otherwise, when that cup comes and it's overflowing, and it's filled with bitterness, and there's pain in it, we won't drink it. Push it off. And so Jesus' idea of God as Abba in the Lord's Prayer here pushes perfectly into that formula I gave you earlier. It reveals that God is powerful. 
that he has good intentions, which means he's trustworthy. The Lord's Prayer, revealing God as Abba, screams of God's power and good intentions, which means it shouts that God is trustworthy. So with all this in mind, let's revisit and hopefully satisfy the two goals I gave you earlier this morning to, ex- uh, to help you accept and maybe even embrace your cup and to help you discover how to trust God with that same cup. So accepting and even embracing our cup is possible when we realize that having a cup is not some unique experience in my life, but is common to all humanity, including Jesus, God, in the flesh. So therefore, I accept and embrace my cup by doing two things. First, practicing honesty in my prayers when my soul is very sorrowful. Oftentimes, we don't want to go to God with the sorrow. What we'd prefer to do is resolve it and then come to him later and say, okay, that's good because I don't want you to see me in sorrow as if he doesn't. So first, we have to be honest in our prayers when our soul is very sorrowful. I call this praying my experiences. Here's what it looks like. Lord, in this moment, this is what's here. That's all I've got. I just place it before you. Bearing my soul before God and confronting the hurts and losses that are our cup. That's how we need to come to God. Knowing that he is trustworthy. So I can lay my deepest pain before him in my prayer. Oftentimes we try to clean up our pain before we go to God. Jim Smith says this about a time that he had a friend pray for them as he and his wife were watching their two-year-old daughter, Madeline, die. This is what he says about the prayer that his friend prayed. The prayer took our story, our own personal narratives, a mother, a father, and a sick child, and put them in the context of a larger story, meta-narrative, which is the story that God is writing. Do you see what he's saying here? He didn't deny his experience, his sorrow, his lot to come to God in that prayer. On the contrary, he embraced it. He went to God in it. And they found peace and they found a God that they could trust. See, here's what happens. Godly sorrow puts my narrative in God's meta-narrative. Your story is not the point of the book. God's story is. Now, God wants your story to be a part of his story. So in our sorrows, in our griefs, in the struggles that come in life, our task then is to put those sorrows in God's presence so that he can place them in his story. He's the key player in my narrative, not me. That's one of the problems we have in the world. We all walk around as if our life is some kind of play and I'm the star of it. And then you step on my stage and we have a problem because no good story has two stars. That's why we end up in worldly sorrow. I'm not getting what I want out of this. So we have to accept and embrace our cup if we're gonna let our cup, our story, fit into God's greater story. We have to accept it and embrace it instead of denying it or avoiding it or minimizing it. Just as Jesus 
embraced his cup in Gethsemane because he knew God as Abba and therefore it was safe to take his sorrow completely and fully before God. We see this in the words of Jesus from the cross. Do you remember the words he said as he's dying? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, those words are actually from the book of Psalms, from Psalm 22, a prophetic psalm about the Messiah. If you wanna know just how deep Jesus' sorrow ran in that moment and just how bitter the cup that he had to drink was, read Psalm 22. It's the internal experience of Jesus on the cross made sin by his father for our sake. Psalm 22 being spoken from the cross is Jesus accepting and not only accepting but embracing his cup before he, a God that he knew to be perfectly trustworthy because the only thing that can hold us when we face drinking from our cup of bitterness and sorrow is that same truth that God is trustworthy. And that's where we stand. And so finally, how do you trust God with your cup? How do you live into the godly sorrow in such a way that draws you deeper into God when you're faced with drinking this bitter cup of your own sorrows? Well, fortunately for us, it's really simple. It's in one word, gratitude. It's just gratitude. It's the soul training exercise that's in this book this week of counting your blessings. Here's why that works. Because noticing and listing the blessings of God in our lives reminds us that God is the Abba that Jesus knew. The Abba who appears in the Lord's Prayer. It's knowing God the way Jesus did and falling in love with the God Jesus knows. That's what counting our blessings does. Falling in love with the one Jesus revealed to us and how he lived and how he taught us to pray and how he drank his cup in the garden. Counting our blessings reminds us of all that. God, whose nature and character Jesus is conveying to us. And we see that he is all-powerful. And we know that his intentions are good towards us. And so he's trustworthy in our eyes. And so as we kind of close this morning, I want to share some words from C.S. Lewis with you. Because oftentimes we view pain as the problem. And it's not the problem. It's our reaction to it. It makes pain a problem. And this is from his book, oddly enough, entitled The Problem of Pain. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, he's, Lewis isn't saying here that God's gonna inflict pain on you so you'll listen. On the contrary, remember what Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. The pain is already here. May not be colliding with you in this moment, but it's already here. Bouncing around us. But when it hits us, the question is, is it gonna be godly sorrow that rouses me from my deafness 
to the presence of God in all things. It invites me to seek him in a deeper way. Or is it gonna become worldly sorrow that walks around and says, woe is me, no one's ever had it so bad. That's our choice. See, our pain, our cup, is an opportunity to hear God and to be roused by him in ways that reveal that he is our Abba, just as he was Jesus' Abba, and he is trustworthy. So here's what I'd like to do right now. I'd like to close by praying the truth of God as Abba over all of you in the Lord's Prayer. I I, I wanna invite you to not pray it with me. I'd rather you take this time as these words wash over you to let God the Spirit wash over your soul in the same way, to let God the Spirit press the truth of God the Father as Abba deep, deep into your heart, mind, and soul. And if you're holding a cup this morning, let God shout to you in that pain. Will you close your eyes with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. 